Good evening, everyone. It is so good that we had that day on Friday when it was 81 degrees outside. Wasn't that awesome? It felt like we were in Florida again. And then now it feels like, I mean, we're definitely like it's back to being freezing outside. I mean, there's never been anywhere nearly as cold as what we experience, right? My Floridian blood attests to that. Um, yeah, so uh, I wanted to, before we get into the message tonight, um, wanted to reiterate something that most of you are probably already aware of, but it's an invitation to all of you and to anyone else that you want to invite in. And that's to our 10th anniversary celebration. That's going to be in just a couple of weeks, guys. It's on February 20th. We're going to be celebrating our 10 years of gathering together as a biblical community. I'm super excited about it. So whether this is like your first Sunday here or you've been here for all 10 years, I, this is gonna be a wonderful space for us to just come back to, to come together, to be here at 5.30 at, at 5.30 because we're gonna have food trucks, y'all. It's gonna be a blast. So be here at 5.30. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I knew we could get something out of that. Um, and we're And at this time, we're going to be looking back over the last 10 years of our community meeting together, focusing on God's faithfulness in the midst of all of our individual stories and how that brings us into a collective story together. And as we do that, it's not just to be nostalgic, although that's kind of fun too. It's to look back at God's faithfulness, to trust him in the present to be faithful. And then we look into the future and know that he will be faithful then as well. So it's gonna be a wonderful time together. And there are some ways for you and I to participate in this gathering together. Um, and there is, I believe, a, uh, there is a form that you can find on our social media and you can find on our website. And um, I'm get, okay, okay, uh, Shreds is over. Okay, but yeah, you can find on social media as well on our website, there's a form. And what the form is for is that you can fill out and share any stories, um, any, anything that was impactful for you from within this community, as well as a space to upload photos as, as well of maybe a friend group that you have been a part of because of this community or an event that we had a couple years ago or an event that we're having this upcoming Tuesday. Um, but just know that there is uh, all that and those are ways for you to participate. And then we're going to use all of that into some creative elements. So again, whether this is your first time here, or you've been here for 10 years, you're invited into all of this. Um, but again, food trucks will be here at what time? Yes, 5.30 is correct. Um, there will also be some other surprising surprises. Um, so you're going to want to be here to know what kind of surprises can be surprising. Um, so again, 5.30, be here on the 20th for that. And again, this is an awesome opportunity to invite in any friends, family in the area um, to come and experience what this community is all about um, and what God has been doing in our midst. So with that, Let's go ahead and get into the message tonight because I'm really excited for us to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. Tonight we're in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 9 tonight. Now, as you're flipping there, does anyone love a good existential crisis? Woo! I mean, like, who doesn't love wondering about the meaning of life? And is this all worth anything? I go through that every couple of years, and I've been doing that since I was seven years old. Um, I'm not kidding. My first existential crisis happened when I was seven years old. Um, I wrote some short stories as a seven-year-old that apparently made my teacher cry. So I was... Uh, so existential crises are real where you're starting to question and ask questions about what is the meaning of all of this? What's the purpose of this thing called life? And that reminds me of recreational running. Now, I, I know that sometimes I make fun of recreational running, and I promise it's not what I'm going to do tonight, okay? 
See, I actually do enjoy going on runs. I want that to be clear. I do like running sometimes, especially when it's in places that are beautiful, natural, and doesn't cost a bunch of money to sign up for. Uh, now, I grew up I grew up in what I would still articulate is the most beautiful state in the country in California. And I had the opportunity going on like vacations all throughout the state to go on runs whenever I would go and visit different places. So whether it was like Yosemite Valley, um, whether it was Lake Tahoe, um, where I grew up was in the, or, the almond orchards of cin- the Central Valley of California. So even going on runs in there, it's beautiful going on to beaches, going to beach towns and running around there. Um, I love to be efficient. So also that's the nice thing about running is you get to see everything just at a quicker pace. Now, running in a beautiful location is a little bit different than if you've ever been on a treadmill that has one of those screens, you know, and like you can run through a beautiful location, but it's on a screen. Right? There's a difference between running in Yosemite Valley next to the med- through the meadows by the waterfalls and a screen in front of you as you are running with Yosemite Valley taking place in front of you, right? Now, assuming that the world is not one big matrix-like simulation, which I'm making that assumption, that's going to be hard to prove and uh, theorists kind of try to wrestle through that. Plato started that. But there is a big difference, assuming that that is not the case, between running on a treadmill, looking at a screen and actually running in a place, right? There's a big difference there, right? The most relevant, relevant difference to this conversation and this particular analogy is that when you're running on a treadmill, it doesn't go anywhere, right? I mean, that's kind of the point of a treadmill. If it did, you would start wondering why you're even running on a treadmill. You just run, right? Now, when you're running through Yosemite Valley amongst the trees, the fields, the rivers, the waterfalls, you get to witness the incredible creativity of God in that, right? Now, you can see the same images on a screen as you're running on a treadmill, but it doesn't quite cut it, right? Because at the end of it, even if you are convinced that what is happening on the screen is real, it's on a screen and you never left the same room you were in the entire time. Which brings us back to existential crisis. If you're anything like me, every once in a while you start asking these questions like, what is the purpose of all of this? And you can do this on one of two scales. Maybe your existential crisis are typically about large scale things. Like, for example, history. Is history just one big treadmill? I mean, like, is the world ever going to get better? Is it always going to be like in the tank? Is it going to be like this cycle of history where governments rise and fall, where technology expands, cultures change, tragedies occur, wars happen. Some of these things are good. Some of them are terrible. But at the end of the day, is it all just kind of a cycle? Is, it, is history on a treadmill? Or we can think in our personal lives, these same questions. Does any of this ever matter? At, if for all the toil of my life, what is this actually achieving? Is my life just a treadmill? Is this it? So we toil for more and more and we end up becoming the center of our own stories. Asking if this is all there is to life, then what should I do? Well, then what I might as well do is change the image on the screen of my treadmill to be whatever the heck image I want there to be. So I begin to define for myself what success looks like and run after it. But even then, the sad part is you're still on a treadmill. 
So that's the encouragement part of the message for the night. Now, for many of us, we are, um, for most of us in this space right now, we're fairly young. Uh, on the whole. And therefore, we don't probably spend a ton of time thinking about our mortality in life. But I'm going to argue tonight that we should. We should. Because when we know where the journey ends, it helps define the trajectory of how to get there. See, we learn to discern a treadmill life from a life of the real thing. So the question tonight is, what is the real thing? So where we left off in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi a few weeks ago is we were in the middle of this song um, that that Paul was grafting into his letter. And it's this anthem of Zion, this song of Jesus. Now, the song can be divided up into two themes that we talked about last time um, between the concepts of humility and glory. See, the first half where we talked about last time focused on the humility of Jesus that this idea that Jesus is the ultimate example of humble character. If you want to know what does it look like to follow the way of Jesus, you simply look at the life of Jesus and you get to discover the humble, kind, loving fierceness that Jesus lived with. Now, in the ancient Roman world, there was another one that was connected to the concept of glory. His name was Caesar. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And so when the concept of glory in a Roman world was not connected to humility, it would have been connected to selfish ambition, conquest, and pride. Those were the markers of Caesar. That's how you knew that he was important, that you knew that he was Lord. But Jesus's glory is connected to selfless love, to sacrifice, and humility. So that's where we're at tonight concept of glory. So let's go back ahead and read the entire song again, and we'll dive in, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's where we left off last time. Therefore, in light of all of that, Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So this song is a horseshoe shape. So instead of being a cycle, it's a horseshoe shape. So it starts with this idea that Jesus steps down from his eternal kingdom into our broken world in humility to become a servant. But as he does that, he goes to the point of sacrificing his own life, death, even death on a cross. So at the lowest point of human history, creator is crucified by creation, but doesn't stay there. So where we're at tonight takes off from that point, the low point. It starts in verse nine again. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, in light of this humbling, Jesus is being lifted up by the father. But it says he gives Jesus a name. So the question is, what's the name? 
What name is this referring to? So this is either referring to the name of Jesus being Jesus or something else. Now, why you might think that it's the name Jesus is because it goes right from verse 9 into verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. But the weird part about this um, and where scholars often debate this part is that God the Father didn't name Jesus. Okay, I know this might make your head like really scratch. Me too. Um, God the Father did not name Jesus. His mom named him. His mom and his earthly father named him Jesus. It was a Jewish name given to this child that was born in a manger in Bethlehem. So the question would be, if so Jesus is the human name for the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But Jesus was already God long before the manger in Bethlehem. So why would after Jesus' death and resurrection, would he be given the exact same name that his earthly mom had already given him? So that brings into question the other option. The name for Jesus is a title. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when you hear the word Lord, um, that I think in Christianese lingo, that can kind of end up ringing like, yeah, yeah, the Lord. Like, but we don't really think about what that means or the context of it. But when the early hearers of a song like this would have heard that language being used. That would, for Jews and for Romans, they would both have big eyes about this. And here's why. Because you see, in the Old Testament, this would have been a, this would have been a hyperlink back to old prophecies about Yahweh. See, God is often referred to as Yahweh and that phrase is translated in English into the word Lord. So whenever you look in your Old Testament of the Bible and it's Lord all capitalized, that is the name Yahweh that has been transliterated into the word Lord. And that was the same case and what they would have understood at this kind of language being used. Because you see, the word Lord means master or authority. So when you're translating the name of God, that's like the only one that kind of makes sense. Now, Listen to this prophecy, Isaiah 42, verse eight. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idol. See, the father doesn't share his glory with anyone who is not God. But here we see the full realization that Jesus is Yahweh, that he is the son of God. So that would, for the, for the Jewish people in the audience, this would have been perplexing. Now, if you are Roman, the Romans already had one that was considered Lord. He had already trademarked it, put it on bumper stickers everywhere. Quite literally, it was engraved all over the cities, all over the Roman Empire. They already had one who considered himself to be God in the flesh. The one who had the power and the authority of a mighty army to enforce this reality. Caesar. Caesar is Lord. So, and to suggest that any other could possibly be Lord is a punishable offense by death in the Roman world. Yet Jesus' lordship isn't inaugurated by the plummeting of his foes, but by giving up his own life as a ransom for many. See, out of his humility, everything changes because he went down to our level and beyond our level to the point of death on a cross. You know, this doesn't mean that Jesus was not God before this was enacted. Remember, he was in the form of God. I like how John Piper explains this reality. 
It was his messianic lordship that was bestowed on him at his exaltation. So in this moment, when this epic thing is taking place, it was his messianic lordship. Not that he wasn't Messiah and Lord before the resurrection, he was, but he had not fulfilled the mission of Messiah until he had died for our sin and risen again. And therefore, before his death and resurrection, the lordship of Christ over the world had not been brought to full actuality. In order to be acclaimed Messiah and Lord, the Son of God had to come, defeat the enemy, and lead his people out of bondage in triumph. So he's given the name that is above every name. Verse 10, it says, So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, even that is a hyperlink. We sang those words right in the song before. But there's a hyperlink to a prophecy from Isaiah 45, verse 23, where Yahweh is talking. And he says, By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. In other words, there's no takey-backsies on this one. Like what I'm about to say, this is legit, this is real, and it's going to come to pass. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. All will bow to Yahweh. See, as the horseshoe bends upward, we realize that this world, its history and our story is not on a treadmill. The world is moving to a point, this point. See, every week when we gather as a community and we worship and encourage one another with the truth of the gospel, what we are in effect doing, we're not just coming and doing like some Christian ritual. It's not about that. What we are doing is we are uniting with other believers in the way of Jesus and with those who have come along before us. And as we make the bold confession of the gospel, we are anticipating the future. This future in which every person will affirm this to be a true reality. We often refer to this concept as the now and the not yet or the already and the not yet. Because already the Father has highly exalted Jesus. Already Jesus has already been given the name that is above every name. Already Jesus has power and authority. But not yet. Not yet does the world recognize this reality. Not yet has every people group had the opportunity to hear and respond to his lordship. Not yet has justice and mercy been affected throughout the cosmos. Not yet is death and decay done away with. Not yet has every tear been wiped away. That moment is yet to come. See, we are in effect in Jesus' coronation period. There is this little movie, Frozen, um, and uh, on a gets super excited, right? If you've, if you've ever happened to see that movie um, where she wakes up, she has like slobber everywhere. Her hair's like all crazy, but that's okay because it's coronation day. She's so excited. Jesus' coronation day has lasted for the last 2000 years. And no one but the father knows when the coronation actually will finalize and the eternal reign will truly begin. But man, if Jesus' coronation day is lasting a few millennia, that only gives you a little bit of window into how epic his actual reign will be for all of existence and all of eternity. Now, who is included in this epic bowing down that's happening here to the Lordship of Jesus? Well, just listen, everyone who is in heaven, everyone who is on earth, 
and everyone who is under the earth. In other words, everyone, like no one's excluded from this reality in every reality. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's gonna be happy about it. There are those of us who have surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, that we recognize him as as our Messiah. And when we witness Jesus coming into his glory in that day, I I love the way C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, we will go further up and further into true and lasting joy. That might not be the way that you think of Jesus' second coming. (laughs) But that's the moment that history culminates. That's the moment when all the brokenness has been undone, when all the decay has ceased and restoration finally inaugurates throughout the cosmos. It's that moment that we were actually created for because we are tempted to live in, because we live in this world, we're tempted to think that this is as good as it gets. No, no, at its best, at the best moments of this life, the ones that are, the moments in our lives that are the most pure, the most beautiful, the most loving, the most intimate and gratifying, those are but a shadow and foretaste of the goodness to come, the true and lasting joy. Now there will be others who will confess him as Lord as well, but they will do it with deep, deep despair and anguish. And this should grieve us. If it doesn't, then we either need a heart check or we need to check what we believe, what we truly believe. Because reality is this moment should activate our hearts and our minds into the concept of the already and the not yet that we should see every day through this lens. Already we confess Jesus is Lord. Not yet have we we had the opportunity to witness the culmination of history when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The one, the Father says, I will share my glory with no one. We discover here him sharing it with the other members of the Trinity. Jesus is Lord. Now in Philippi, this was crazy. This was, again, a hyperlink for the Jews to those prophecies from Isaiah. For the Gentiles, this is the ultimate rejection of the way of the world, calling out that there is a way, and it is the way of Zion, the kingdom of God. So that is in their context how they would have understood the word Lord being used. So with that context, here's the question I want you to ask in your heart. What is your heart tempted to call Lord? Is it another person, a relationship? Is it your financial stability? What is it? What are you tempted to define as Lord? Is it your career? Is it your desire for more and more? Is it your pride? Is it a hidden addiction or a hobby? What are you tempted to call Lord in your life? See, the reason why life can so often feel like just a treadmill and not to just speak completely broad brush, but oftentimes, at least I know this for myself, the reason life can feel like I'm living on a treadmill is because I'm trying to serve two masters. And according to Jesus, that's not a great way to go. See, we live on planet death, home to the way of the world, marked by pride, conquest, and power with the belief that those things ultimately will lead us to glory. But we are called to be people of the way of Jesus. 
And when we follow the way of Jesus, everything changes. Our priorities change. Our minds change to be the mindset of Jesus. But that's hard. And it's a journey. It's all a part of it. And the way of Jesus is marked by humility, sacrifice, and love. But we also believe that those markers lead to glorification, the glorification of Jesus. See, in the early church, they didn't believe history was a treadmill. In fact, they believed that the king was going to return and usher in his kingdom ASAP. They didn't know when. They didn't have a day in mind. It could be next Wednesday. It could be in a few thousand years. Those guys were more correct. And so far, we still wait in that moment. But they lived with a tenacity and a missional focus that was rooted in the concept that this is not my home. I am a people of a different kingdom. And that was exciting for them. They lived like Anna did on coronation day, right? She starts singing her song and that is a coronation day song, right? This is a coronation day song. She was excited for the gates to be opened and we are excited to see our King inaugurated into his fullness where he leads everything, where we see him face to face. See, the early church literally went around singing Coronation Day songs just like this. It's often recorded that as Christians were being ushered into the Roman Colosseum to to face their executions, that they were singing songs like this with smiles. That's crazy to me, not to them, because that was the moment they were living for. Because they had this, this true anchored belief that the king was coming and they could take their lives, but that wasn't going to stop the king from coming. He was going to come and he's going to bring life, light, and freedom to every tribe, every tongue, every people group and nation. And they held on to that truth. Now that is not what you or I typically think about on Monday morning when we roll out of bed to head to work, right? But what if it was? What if we kept this song on our hearts? What if we allowed our imaginations to be ignited, our love and our passions, that we actually desire this moment? What if like the early church, the vision of this day when the rightful king is confessed by every tongue, that it would excite our hearts, that it would cause us to go and live on mission, to be a gospel voice and a gospel presence, to love our neighbor, to care for the vulnerable and the brokenhearted. Man, That's what I want for me. And that's what I want for us. Doesn't mean that we won't still have existential crisis from time to time. It's part of being human. But what it does mean is that we would have an understanding deep within us that has been embedded by the spirit of God to trust that even when life feels purposeless, even when it feels monotonous, we are holding on to a better day. Now, to help this be internalized in our hearts, there are two things I would encourage each and every one of us to do. Consider memorizing this passage, this entire song. Well, store it in your hearts. Second thing is to be, have a reminder every day of this. Last time I played a song for you called The Anthem of Zion. I didn't play it or sing it. You wouldn't want that. But there's a song, The Anthem of Zion, that we heard. And it's a paraphrase of this song. 
And so we took those lyrics from that song and we turned it into um, a background for your smart devices. And so if you want to go ahead and put that up in just a second. Um, and what I'd love for you to do is consider, there it is, um, taking out your phone, scan the QR code if you'd like, and it'll lead to, that down, to download that image. And here's the idea. I've, I've read recently that the average American picks up their iPhone or Android device, I guess, um, uh, about 2,000 times a day. We check our phone 2,000 times a day. That's crazy, right? What if 2,000 times a day, we had to look at our phone and see this anthem to be reminded of the true day to come? So feel free to download that and have this as a reminder to store these truths in our heart, to be reminded, to be refreshed in the truth of the gospel. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on up right now. And I'm sure we'll also share that link um, on social media at some point this week. But here's what I would love for us, to center our hopes on Jesus, to center our desires on him, to give him the worship that he's due. Because y'all, it's coronation day. It's been going on for 2,000 years and I don't know how many days, months, years, or millennia are left. But what I do know is that he is returning and that is a great day. So what I'd love to do right now is I'd love to pray over you and over me that this would become the desire of our hearts because I realize that for most of us, even thinking about the return of Jesus brings like makes you like break out in hives or something. I get it. And then what I'd love to do is respond in worship. So Father, I pray over my friends tonight. Lord, I pray that you would be altering our hearts and our desires, even right now by the power of your spirit, that you'd be calling us into this desire to know you more. Lord, you are good and faithful. Jesus, you are Lord. Lord, one day the, the time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that is the truth. And until then, we wait in the already and the not yet. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. Lord, it's hard. But you are faithful. You are, you are patient and you're good. So Lord, tonight as we respond in worship, Lord, would you help the words of our mouth to be a reflection of the truths that our hearts desire? Yes, Lord. You are good and you are kind and you are faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.